wonderful if you have your Bibles, if you would like to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and I'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 6 commencing at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord the God of your fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses <clears throat> filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. second reading is Mark 12, 13 to 34. So Mark 12, 13 to 34. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to they." to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not should we pay or shouldn't we but Jesus knew the hypocrisy why are you trying to trap me he asked bring me a denarius and let me look at it 
They bought the coin, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry, marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same as the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be in mar given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying God is the one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbours as you love yourself, is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Okay, good morning everyone. Um, for those who don't know, I'm Courtney. Um, I'm a member of the 10am congregation and one of the leaders of Illuminate. Um, and this is because there was a bit of a party on last night that I thought bright purple hair would be a uh, good choice for. And now I'm stuck with it. So, much to my wife's disgust. But anyway, uh, so as we've heard today, we're looking at Mark 12. Uh, so, how about I pray and then we can get into it. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and all that it reveals to us. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll open our hearts and our minds to your message this morning. I pray that you'll give me the words to share that honestly. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, well, when I was at school, some of you may be surprised to know I was a bit of a nerd. And debate club. Who here was in the debate club? Yeah, that's... At least there's a couple with me, so that's good. So, some other people though, and I must admit I used to love these as well, is the great debate, the comedy debate. 
I used to think they were awesome. Uh, for other people, debating might look more like this. A bit of the old question time, which I don't believe there's much debating, but they do try to throw some tricky questions in. Uh, and I know for myself, this has been my kind of debating on more than a couple of occasions with a certain telco that will remain nameless. But if we look at it, who would be the perfect person to have on your debate team? I think it would be Jesus. He's the absolute best at taking tricky questions and turning them back on people. So who wouldn't want him on your debate team? But that's not really what this passage is about. See, if we're looking at how Jesus is slapping down people asking him trick questions um, and, and that sort of thing, we're only sort of looking at the, the surface. See, like most of the rest of the Bible... If we dig deeper, we get to the true greater meaning uh, and truly we need to seek to understand what Jesus is really saying in this passage. And that's what I'm hopefully going to do for us today. So I like to think of this passage as a passage of threes. So there's three questions, there's three separate groups or people that are asking these questions and there's three answers that Jesus gives, but they all point to the one thing, and that's the kingdom of God. So the first part is the imperial tax. So most people are probably somewhat familiar with this. There's a common phrase that's in it, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. But in reading it, I'd always missed the deeper meaning. I'd always gone for the, the surface meaning of this passage. Pay your taxes, participate in society. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean that we've got to withdraw into our own little circles. But there's far more significance in the details. So we need to look at, well, who's asking the question? In this first account, it's the Pharisees that ask the question. So who are they? Well, they were sort of political activists of their time. And they came with the Herodians, who were sort of loyalists and part of the Pharisees, um, that were loyal to Herod. And that's who they were looking for. They were looking for that sort of kingly um, leader that was going to rise up against the Romans and they were anti-establishment. They wanted their own political rule for the Jewish people. And... I must admit, I've already kind of told a little bit of a white lie because the Pharisees actually ask two questions in one. So they, first of all, ask, is this imperial tax right? And then they followed it up just to make sure that they could really trick Jesus is not only is it right, but should we pay it? So let's look at what the imperial tax is. So the imperial tax was a tax that was only levied upon subjects of the Roman Empire. So Romans themselves didn't have to pay it. It was a specific coin, in this case, the denarius, and I'll go into that a bit more in a minute. But what it was implying was that Caesar was their king, not God. And that really sat badly with the Jewish people. So Jesus himself says that this is 
the hypocritical question because they don't really want the answer. They're just trying to trap Jesus. See, this uh, rebellion against this tax had happened before in the past. About 25 years before the Pharisees and Herodians asked this question of Jesus in the temple, there was another man from Galilee whose name started with J, who had also opposed this tax. And that was Judas of Galilee. See, he led a rebellion against this tax. And not, as I say, because it was a burdensome tax. Some people don't like paying taxes because, you know, it takes a lot out of our pockets. Probably most people here probably pay about 30% of what you earn. But this tax was roughly about a day's wages. So it wasn't the, the, uh, the financial burden that was the problem. It was the fact that they were saying that Caesar's going to be our king. So this Judas of Galilee, he opposed the tax. He raised up all the Jewish people and said, we're not going to pay it. So what happened to him? The Romans came along and took him to death. So that's what the Pharisees are trying to do here to Jesus. They're trying to trap him. See, one way or the other, either he's going to say, yes, we should oppose this tax, and then he'll get arrested by the Romans, or he'll say, well, no, we should pay the tax. And therefore, he's going to seem loyalist to the Romans and lose a majority of the Jewish people. But what's the significance of the coin. See, it doesn't just say Jesus spoke about the tax, but Jesus calls for the coin. He says, someone bring me a denarius. And this is a picture of a denarius of the time with Tiberius Caesar on it. And it has an inscription. So it has his name, Tiberius Caesar, and Caesar being effectively king of the empire. Son of the divine Augustus. See, what they had done is they had elevated Augustus, his father, to divinity, to God. So effectively, he was calling himself son of God. On the opposite side, as you can see there, it says, Maxim Pontiff, high priest. The coin was also minted out of his wealth. It was literally his money. Let's contrast that with Jesus. Jesus is also our king. He is the son of God and high priest. Does he seem like the kind of king that the Pharisees and Herodians were wanting? A subtle thing that I had missed many times is Jesus doesn't just get there and pull a coin out of his pocket. Jesus has to ask for a coin. This is our king that doesn't even have one small coin in his pocket. He has to ask someone to bring it to him. He's definitely not what the Pharisees and the Herodians are looking for. He's not warrior-like. He's not domineering. He's humble. He's wise. And he accepts the least of society. I can't imagine Tiberius Caesar bringing the lowly into his inner sanctum. 
So what's Jesus really saying in this first passage? He says what I think is the most important part of it. Give to God what is God's. And what does God give us? God gives life. And that's what he's asking for from each and every one of us. See, the kingdom of God, it's not like worldly kingdoms. It's not all about wealth and power. It's about love and sacrifice. So let's move on to the second question. Okay, This is asked by the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. And please see Pete after for why they called the Sadducees. He's got a fantastic explanation um, that I thought was fantastic. So please go and ask him why Sadducees are called Sadducees and you you will be disappointed, let's be honest. (laughs) But enough of that. So... As we've seen here, they pose... So they don't even believe in resurrection. But they pose this question to Jesus about this wife who ends up marrying a series of seven brothers. But before we go into too much of this, I just want us to pause for a second. As I was reading this, and as you guys listened to this, did anyone else go, hang on a second... Ah, it's not working anymore. Oh, back. This woman needs to be investigated. Seriously, like she would be the subject of a true crime podcast for sure. Like, she's outlived seven brothers and no one's asked, hang on, what's happening? After like two or three, I reckon I'd be going, if I was the fourth brother, I'd be going, no, I'm not too sure about this. I don't think I want to go there. But seriously, what is this about? Well, thankfully, as I say, we can dig a little bit deeper and it's not specifically about marriage and what's going to happen in the kingdom of God with marriage. Thankfully, because that's a conversation that I don't want to have because there's a number of wives in here that I'm sure will be either, finally I'm free, or hang on, no, no, you're stuck with me. So... Let's again have a look what this is really about. Let's start with who's asking the question. So this is the Sadducees. Who were they? They were the wealthy elites, the rulers of the temple. So what are the wealthy elites mainly concerned with? I personally think it's the same thing they're concerned with in this day and age. They're worried about continuing their family line and protecting their assets, their worldly wealth. But Jesus says this is a misconceived question from them. See, they've misread the scriptures. They've, in fact, misunderstood the whole of the Old Testament. Now, the Sadducees, from my research, they actually only believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. But what does Jesus say? He says, God's kingdom is a kingdom of the living. And by that, it fulfills the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, in the kingdom of God, there's no need for marriage or procreation. That's something that we need here on earth. But in the kingdom of God, he's giving us life eternal. 
So there's no need for us to try and continue our lineage. And as we heard in Deuteronomy, he's providing us houses we didn't build, vineyards we didn't plant, wells we didn't dig. So we don't need to take our assets with us. God provides everything for us. And it's that glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus is getting at here. The other thing that I think really hits home is Jesus at the end of this part of the passage doesn't just say, you know, there's my answer, this is what it's going to be like. He really, for mine, sticks the boot in. What does he say to them? It's not just you're mistaken, you're badly mistaken. You've completely misread the scriptures that you profess to know so well. These were the rulers of the temple. So, what is Jesus really saying? He's saying the kingdom of God is not like earth. We don't have a need for marriage or procreation to keep our family lines going or protect our assets. I also love the part where he likens us to angels. Now, I know quite often Jody says that I am far from angelic, so it's going to be nice to be in the kingdom of God and finally be at that sort of level. But most importantly, God's the God of the living. He gives us new life and life eternal. And then we get to the third part. Okay, And this is um, asked by one of the teachers of the law. He's overheard them debating and he's come to ask him this question. And the thing that stands out with this one is Jesus answers him openly and honestly. So you can tell that this teacher of the law is asking a genuine question. So let's have a little bit more of a look at who's asking. So a teacher of the law is someone that studied all of the laws of the Jewish times. So in the Old Testament, there's 613 separate commandments that the Jews had to live up to. So you can imagine there was quite a number of these teachers of the law that would spend their time studying all of these separate commandments and arguing amongst themselves, debating with each other, which of these commandments is the greatest? So that's the question that he poses to Jesus. He can see Jesus' wisdom and he likes the answers that he's given to the other two who are trying to trick him out. So he asks him a genuine question. Now, in the New Testament, a lot of the time, the teachers of the law, they're not portrayed as being particularly supportive of Jesus and his ministry. But this one, we're told, commends Jesus' answer. And that ends all other questioning. But what does Jesus do when he answers the one genuine question? Does he come up with some great new bit of wisdom, some new teaching? No. He simply returns to Scripture. As we heard in Deuteronomy, love God above all else. And then the second part, love your neighbour, comes directly from Leviticus 19.18. See, it's been there for us all along. Jesus knows that he doesn't need to come up with any new teaching. What we need to know is there.
See, the kingdom of God is about loving sacrifice. And that's what he shows us here. And it's always been there. If we love God above all else, everything else will fall in place. If we love God above all else, we won't be able to help but to love our neighbour. And the other key fact here is, as some of you know, often when we're talking about our Christian family and when Jesus is telling us to love others, often he'll say, you know, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not what he uses here. He's saying love your neighbour. Love everybody. Christian, non-Christian. We're called to love. So what, again, is Jesus really saying? He's telling us in all three of these about the kingdom of God. It's not what we expect. It's not about riches and glory. It's about love and sacrifice. It's others-focused. Well, I'm sure you're all sitting there and going, fantastic, Courtney, that's great. You've given us a nice little history and a bit of an English lesson. But what does it mean for us? What are we supposed to do with it? Well, at the very start of Mark, he talks about, in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is near. And that's what Jesus is again pointing out to us. In fact, he says it to the teacher of the law. And I must admit, this was a a sad bit for me as I read it. This teacher of the law, he understands. He gets it. He goes, yeah, that is a fantastic answer. That's what it's all about. And what does Jesus say to him? You're not far from the kingdom of God. He's almost there, but he's missing that one piece. He's not yet a follower of Jesus. So, Jesus has outlined the kingdom of God for us. What does he want us to do? He wants us to know the scripture. We're going to get those tough questions, those curly questions. Once people know that we're Christians, they're going to come to us and say, well, what about this? Or what about that? And if we try to lean on our own knowledge and our own understanding, we're going to mess it up. So what we need is to know the scripture. Jesus himself answered genuine tough questions with scripture. So that's what we should be looking to do as well. Jesus wants 100% of us, 24-7. doesn't want Sunday Christians. He wants all of us in everything that we do. Love God first and that will flow through us. And if we do that, we're going to be a glimpse of that kingdom of God in the world. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your wisdom, for the kingdom of God and what we have to look forward to. But most importantly, Lord, we give you thanks for the scripture and how it can help us to be that vision of of your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.